Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, good morning. I'm excited today to introduce you to Rochelle Davis. We're going to be talking about adoptions, and actually, uh, Rochelle is going to talk to you about, telling you about when she adopted her own child and then became an investigator and specializes in adoptions. So, good morning, Rochelle. Good morning, Francie. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, this is great. Um, we were just talking offline about uh, my friend Tamara Thompson, who does adoption searches in California. So I'm a I'm a little familiar with it, not greatly, but I've had little dribs and drabs of uh, getting involved in adoption searches. So, um, but you're in Joplin, Missouri, right? I am. And um, so. Um, Tell us a little bit about what happened with the adoption of your child and how you you actually got into this kind of business. Okay. Well, I, uh, I adopted my son, who's now two and a half years old, and my husband and I were able to adopt him uh, when he was born. So uh, he was born in the spring of 2015. And at the time, I was working as a crime analyst for my local police department here in Joplin. And uh, so a lot of what I did as a crime analyst really was was fairly similar to what private investigators do. I was just, you know, working for a city government uh, and for a police department doing, you know, researching people and digging up information, putting cases together, stuff like that. And uh, so we decided to adopt our son. And uh, when that happened, everything went very smoothly with the birth mom. You know, everything kind of went as planned. Uh, But we really didn't know a whole lot about our son's birth father until after our son was born. And uh, we found out shortly, you know, after he was born, hey, you know, as part of the legal process, you have to, uh, to find him and serve him papers and try to, you know, see if, if he will, will sign his rights away to his son, which we were informed, you know, probably wouldn't be a real, real difficult task. And he, he didn't seem real interested. Uh, you know, he had several other children that he really wasn't, wasn't a part of their lives either. And Uh so, um, so the first thing that we had to do was to find him. And he, you know, is kind of one of those that, is just all over the map, um, just kind of in and out of, of different towns. And so uh, we ended up having to actually hire a private investigator through our attorney just to locate the birth father because our attorney, you know, wasn't able to find him on her own. Mm-hmm. And so we hired a private investigator and had him locate him. And at the time, he happened to be in prison. <laughs> and What was uh, he in so- prison for? What was he in prison for? He, uh, well, he's a violent criminal, and at the time of my son's birth, he was in prison. He had um, basically he had attacked a friend of his with a uh, box cutter, and you know stabbed him several times, and 
so he was serving a little bit of time for that. <laughs> is he is, is he uh, serving life without parole, or or is he? No, no, he's not. Um, he he actually just a short time after my son was born, he uh, got out of prison, and uh, but just gosh, I think it was at the end of last year, sometime. Uh, he violated his parole and had to go back and, and serve the rest of his sentence, which I think is seven years. Okay. All right. Was yeah. that any kind of... <laughs> I, I, you, of course, you're in law, we're in law enforcement. Was that any kind of concern of yours that he was uh, a convicted felon? That any yeah, concern at absolutely. All? Um, I mean, you know, when when you hear that, you think, okay, okay, well... Let's see what we're up against and, you know, if we need to take any, any precautions, which, which we did, um, you know, and, and finding out that he was a violent criminal and uh, just, you know, his whole life just, just kind of one of those kind of, of people who they get in it when they're young and, and then they, it's just a cyclical thing for them. And, uh, and he's actually older. Um, so his whole life, you know, he's just kind of been in and out of the system and, and that's been his M.O., um, but yeah, at the time we, we were concerned because, uh, as we got further along in the process, um, after we found him, our, our, you know, private investigator that we hired was able to find him. We, um, we had to kind of take some precautions because he indicated that he, you know, did not want to give his child up for adoption. He was, he was going to fight us for custody. You know, he wanted to know things about us. He wanted to know who we were, where we lived. And so, of course, that was very concerning. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was good, though, because, you know, at the time I worked for, for the police department, and so I had about, you know, 100 or so officers behind me. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, I felt pretty safe in that capacity. But we, we did take some precautions at our, at our home and kind of beefing up some security and things like that, just, you know, just to be on the safe side, just sure. in case. Sure. So, so the, the birth mom, though, she was very cooperative. And, and um, what was her reason for giving up the child? Do you know? Yeah, she um, she actually has a couple of other children and really did not want to have another child um, and, and kind of was bullied into it uh, by the birth father. And so from the get-go, I think she really, she knew that the kind of lifestyle she had was not going to be conducive to raising a child. Her other children were being raised by her parents you know, um, and so from the beginning, I think in her mind, it was uh, not as difficult a decision as maybe, you know, it can be for some because she just, she knew from the beginning that she couldn't raise a child. And, um, and I think, too, it was a concern of hers to, you know, keep her child away from the birth father. I think that that was probably her her biggest mm-hmm. motivator after after talking with her and getting to know her a little bit. I think that was the biggest concern. And you've done something that I think is fairly unusual. You stayed in contact with her. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, it's not as unusual today as it once was. It's getting to be more and more common to have some form of an, an open adoption. Um, mm-hmm. An open adoption can, you know, take on 
various forms. Um, but with us, with our son's birth mom, we, um, we keep in contact through letters and I send her photos of our son and, um, and we receive letters back from her and she sends our son gifts and, and things, you know, for, for his birthday and Christmas and things like that. Um, and we've kind of left it open to where when our son gets older and he has the opportunity and can make that choice himself, uh, if he wants to meet his birth mom, she's open to that. We're open to that, you know. So so that's something that um, nowadays I, I think that there are more and more adoptions that are, I think that they're seeing the benefit in having these open adoptions in some capacity when it's possible. You know, it's, it's not yeah. always possible and it's not always the best thing. Um, but I think a lot of times it's, you know, kind of obvious reason for the adoptee as they get older, you know, they don't have to find a private investigator to, you know, hire them to try to find their birth mom or their birth dad, or they don't, you know, have to have some medical, you know, something that happens to them and, and they're just sort of, you know, at a loss and they, they don't have any kind of direction to, to give their doctor and say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know my medical history. Um, so that, you know, there are different reasons, um, where it it can be very beneficial to have an open adoption. Um, but I really, I mean, I think that the biggest one is just to give the adoptee, you know, and even the birth parent too, to give them that opportunity to know, you know, the kind of child that, that my, or the kind of person that my child grows up to be and to, to know that they're mm-hmm. okay and to see that they're happy. And, right. You know, I know that that means a whole lot to our son's birth mom um, to be able to see that he's living in a safe environment and he's thriving. He's doing super well. You know, he's a great kid. Um, we love him. And, and I think that those are really, really important things for a birth mom uh, mm-hmm. to see. Um, I think that gives her a lot of comfort. Um, and as, you know, our son gets older, I think it'll be a, a great opportunity for him to be able to not only know his birth mom, but be able to ask her questions and have a relationship with her if that's what he chooses to do. And just for that to be there to lean on if that's what, you know, he, he chooses to do. And I'm sure... Um Michelle, you have given a lot of thought, you and your husband, what you're actually going to tell your son when he's ready. What yeah, are you going to say? Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked about it um, even before we adopted him. Um, and we really are, are both of the opinion that he's going to know about his adoption from the very beginning. You know, we're not going to wait until he's a certain age and say, you know, hey, let's sit down. We have something to tell you. It's just going to be kind of a, a common thing that we that we talk about, you know, as he develops and and continues moving forward and can start understanding, you know, how things work and things like that. We'll just tell him from the get go, you know. So I mean, he's only two and a half now, but um, you know, it won't be all that long before he he might, you know, say something of if he sees a a woman who's pregnant, and I'll say, oh, you know there's there's a baby in her in her stomach and you know and and that'll kind of open up to talking about you know you actually you didn't grow in my stomach you grew in another you know another woman's stomach and and kind of just opening that up for him to where I don't know if he'll ever have any memories of not knowing you know that Uh that he was adopted and that and that we chose him right right 
Yeah, it's it's so interesting because in you know in years past and probably even still today, to some extent, it's been very secretive. It has. It it really has. Um, I think in the beginning. You know, there it was. It was just kind of clouded in secrecy a lot because it was more of a of a shameful thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's just how society placed that that stamp on on adoption from the beginning. Because um, I think you know, back in the day, a lot of times children um, who were given up for adoption, and you know, not always the case, but um, you know, sometimes it was it was situations that were, you know, embarrassing for the family or, mm-hmm. you know, just things that you did not talk about. And so, you know, hey, let's let's send our daughter off to some, some relatives over in the state and she can have her baby when she's, mm-hmm. you know, 16 years old and then she'll come back and we'll pretend like nothing ever happened and right. everyone will go on with their lives. And, uh, and it's, you know, to, to go from that kind of a situation to today, and there are so many different um, avenues to adoption and so many different reasons for adoption. You know, our birth mom, when she uh, gave birth to our son, she was in her low 30s. You know, she wasn't a 16-year-old girl, you Mm -hmm. know, unwed and and that stigma, Um, and she already had other children. Um, And so, you know, the situations are, are very different today. Um, and that was one thing, you know, being an adoptive parent and actually going through that whole process, I think in the beginning you kind of have an idea of, you know, what adoption is and, and why, you know, a birth parent might give their child up for adoption, things like that. And until you kind of go through that process, at least for me, my eyes were really open to... Really? Um, yeah, I I really have a a great um, just I admire I have a great admiration for our son's birth mom and and other birth moms, um, you know, for making that decision. I because you I mean I can't even fathom you know uh-huh. how difficult that situation uh-huh. is. You know, being a mom now, I I can't even fathom it. I can't wrap my head around it, uh-huh. and you know. For her to make that decision and, you know, she, I mean, she put her son first and thought, right, you know, takes a lot of courage. I know I can't give him a good life. I know that, you know, if, if, if he stays with me, he might not be safe. I don't want him to be around the birth dad. You know, this is not going to be a good situation for him. So this is the best thing for him. I want him to have a better life than what I can give him. And, you know... To, to actually follow through with that is just, I, I have huge admiration for that. Mm, interesting. So, um, what other concerns did you have about adopting a child? I, I, that sound, it sounds like just a, a really huge life decision. So, what kind of things did you go through? Yeah, um, you know, adoption was something that my husband and I had always kind of talked about even before we got married when we were dating, mm-hmm. um, you know, not knowing what the future was going to hold. And, and we, uh, we actually ended up, we were married, gosh, for 13 years before we adopted our son, mm-hmm. which is a little unusual too. Um, but we just, you know, we're never at a time in our lives where we were ready to start a family. And, you know, so we, we waited until we were a little older and, um, 
and we, you know, started talking about it again, and, and we did have fertility issues as well that we weren't aware of until we, you know, decided, okay, hey, we better decide. It's now or never. You know, we can't get uh-huh. get too much older. <laughs> and, Interesting. Uh, so when yeah. we discovered our, our fertility issues, we just immediately, it was just a natural decision for us to move straight into adoption. Because um, our plan was kind of, you know, oh, okay, maybe we'll have a, a biological child and then adopt a child. Um, that was kind of always in the back of our minds, um, oh. but yeah, well, that's kind. Of, that's unusual that. too, Rochelle. I mean, um, most people, at least my experience, don't even think about it until they do have fertility issues, and they say, "Oh, yeah, well, yeah, uh-huh, we still want a child." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was a little bit unusual, I think, in our situation. Um, I don't know. We we both have had different families in our lives that you know. Um, grew their families through adoption in some capacity, and it was just something I think we both thought, "Wow, that's that's really a cool thing to do." You know, um, we we'd like to do that one of these days. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. So, um, so has the father ever tried to contact you? No, not um, not since we we went through a custody battle. Um, in the first, you know, several months um, after our son had been born. And uh, it really, after, you know, we, we won that and he actually appealed the decision to the, uh, the appeals court in Kansas. That's where our son was adopted. And um, ever since we went through all that and he lost his appeal, you know, he's back in prison. We haven't heard anything. You know, I, I kind of just assumed you know, th- this is just sort of his MO. This is what he does. He likes to cause problems for other people. You know, he's sitting in prison. Of course, he's going to do what he can to to fight us in this. You know, he doesn't have to pay anything. It's no skin off his back. But we knew that, you know, he had several other biological children that he didn't have anything to do with either. And so we figured, you know, once this is all done and the dust settles, he'll he'll move on to his next next thing and and kind of forget about it, which I think he's he's kind of probably done. Um, I definitely keep tabs on him, you know. Um, we just, it's still, you know, kind of in the back of your mind, like, okay, just, mm-hmm. you know, when you're out and about, just be aware of your surroundings, and, and we know what he looks like, and all of those things, and we have all the, the information on him. Um, but as far as I know, he doesn't know who we are. He doesn't know what state we live in. He, he doesn't even know his son's name. Um, okay. So, so it's, it's not really a big concern anymore. Yeah, yeah. So do you get notified when he gets released? We do, yeah. I, I signed up kind of like you do if you're a victim of a crime. You know, you can, can sign up and, and get those notifications. So, yeah, oh, we do get those. Okay. Yeah. And, and what if your son wants to meet his dad? You know, I've thought about that, too, um, and I think that's something, you know, obviously something that wouldn't happen until he is probably an adult, um, and I think if that is something that he wants to do and wants to try to make contact with him, you know, at that point, his birth dad will be, you know, quite old by that, that time, um, and uh, I mean, that, that'll be his decision. Um, mm-hmm. You know, really, the, the primary thing I think about now is just his, his safety, our son's safety. Uh, and as long as he's safe, you know, I'm okay with whatever he wants to do as he gets older, if he wants to, 
to look more into his birth dad and and even meet him. You know, I I, I think he can he can go for it if that's what he wants to do. It's it's kind of a different situation with the birth dad as opposed to the birth mom. Um, cause you know, you want to protect your, your children and, and it's kind of sad to think that we're going to have to tell him about his birth dad cause he's not a good guy, you know, and, and you think about things like, oh, well, I don't want my son to think that just because his birth dad is a bad guy that, that he's going to be a bad guy himself right. as he grows up, you know, it's, it's right. in his blood or anything like that. You know, I, right. those are obvious things that I think you, you think about as an adoptive parent. Um, and just, you know, my primary concern is, is just his safety, his well-being, And as he gets older and, and is able to take in that information, you know, whatever he, what questions he has, whatever he wants to know, you know, we'll, we'll tell him age appropriate. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that if, if he wants to meet him down the road, then, you know, he, he should have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it about the process that sparked in you wanting to do adoption searches yourself and become a private investigator? Yeah. Um, well, when we were in the process of fighting the birth dad for custody, uh, you know, it was just kind of back and forth talking with our attorney a lot, and, you know, planning for, for the upcoming trial date. And, you know, we had never done anything like this before. So it was all very, very foreign to us. Um, but being a crime analyst and just kind of naturally doing those things in my job and researching people, digging up information on people, um, you know, when we were in the middle of that, I thought, you know, I'm going to dig up information on, on our son's birth dad. <laughs> and uh-huh. so um, I knew that our attorney and um, her, you know, paralegals and, and stuff, that they were all, you know, doing that. But I thought, eh, you know, there's no reason I can't do that, too, and look up public information on him. And uh-huh. um, so I, I definitely kept it, I kept it separated from, from my job. You know, I always did my searching from home, from my home computer, and I didn't use any of my, my contacts or, you know, or any, any databases that I had access to. It was tempting. I'll tell you that. I was going to say it must have been tempting. <laughs> it was. Because it, it was more tempting. Um, but I also kind of in the back of my mind, there was enough of a, fear factor of, I want to make sure I am 100%, you know, on the up and up with this. I don't want to mess anything up in, you know, adopting our son and and having all that, you know, go through. Um, So I just kind of started looking up information on him, you know, just I started by Googling his name and, and we had, you know, a decent amount of information on him through our attorney. And so I was able to, you know, just put some of the pieces together and um, find out, you know, where his other children are and, you know, previous women that he had been with, previous places that he had lived, his criminal history, just, you know, things like that. And so I just kind of started started a file on him, started putting stuff together and, and thought, well, I'll, I'll do everything I can and find everything I can on my end and then pass this along to our attorney in case there's any information I find that she doesn't find that, you know, would be beneficial and help us to, to win our case and get custody of our son. And uh, so that's what I did. And uh, whenever I was searching for stuff, I, I you know, kind of came to the end of it and so I passed it along to our attorney, and I said, hey, I know this is probably a little unusual, <laughs> but 
but I'm a crime analyst. This is kind of what I do. So I put <laughs> this, this together in case, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I gave her the information I had and, and she looked through it and she said, wow, you know, like there, there are some things in here that we, we haven't found. So thank you very much. And we'll follow up on some of it and let you know how things go. And uh, one of the things I, I had found, um, as I said, our, our son's birth father, he's older. He's in his 50s. And uh, so several of his children that he already has are in their, you know, 20s and 30s. Oh. And uh, so they're, you know, they're adults. And uh, so one of his sons that I found was um, actually also serving time in prison, and he had uh, written and had an article published uh, from prison, and it was an article all about his dad and growing up and just kind of his home life and, and his, you know, brothers that he grew up with and what things were like for him growing up having a father that was you know, basically emotionally abusive and physically abusive and just neglectful, just kind of all around neglectful mm-hmm. of of he and his brothers. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that I gave, you know, was, was that article to our attorney, and um, that was something that she had not found. And uh, so she was able to contact that son, you know, and, and interview him and, and get some more information from him. Um, and we found uh, also a woman who ended up testifying for us uh, in our our court for our court date. Um, she was a former victim, a former girlfriend of uh, the birth dad, and he had um, stabbed her multiple times, and she almost oh, died. Yeah. Um, and this happened, you know, over on the the west coast um, back in you know I think 2007. Um, and so when we found her, uh, he had pled guilty in that case. So she was never able to testify or anything like that. And, uh, you know, she let us know like, Hey, I, I really need closure on this. And I was never able to testify. And so I would love to be able to testify and, you know, tell a a court of law what happened to me and what he did to me. It would be a, a healing thing for me. You know, I still have PTSD through this and, you know, this this would just be a great thing for me to be able to do. And, of course, it was wonderful for us to be able to have her Right, what a great um, find. That's, a, yeah. that's an amazing find, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it ended up working out really well for us. And for her, too, as well, because I mean, she, yeah. I mean, she's probably was carrying that with her and couldn't do anything about it. So yeah, being able yeah. to testify in your case accomplished you know, helping somebody else and helping yourself. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a very neat thing. I I wrote her a letter afterwards, you know, just thanking her for for being so brave and, and telling her story and what happened and um so yeah, it was it was just an all around good thing for, for everybody. So interesting. So I I mean I have no idea, Rachel Rochelle, but I uh, I suspect that adoptions are fairly expensive to pursue. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they they definitely can be. <laughs> um, yeah. In our case, we really were going to get off fairly cheaply for an adoption. 
Um, it was just a, a private adoption, you know, here in the U.S. Um, but because the birth dad, you know, decided to fight us for custody and then he, he took it yeah. to the appeals court, it just, you know, it dragged it out in time and, and definitely dragged it out in expense. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to take a quick break, Rochelle. We're going to come back in a, in a couple minutes after a commercial break, and then we'll talk about how you do adoption searches. All right. Very good. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Rochelle Davis is the owner and the operator of a private investigation agency in Joplin, Missouri called New Hope Investigations, and her specialty is uh, adoption searches, and New Hope, I think, is just a wonderful name for an investigation company that does adoption searches. That's very cool. Um, And she's licensed in both Missouri and Kansas. So, Rachel, we were just, uh, before break, I wanted you to talk about how you do an adoption search. Share yeah, that with our listeners. Um, yeah. Well, um, one of the first things that I do really before we even get started on an adoption search um, is to just kind of sit down with my my client and just sort of discuss the kind of the why behind, you know, why are they wanting to do this search? You know, whether it's a birth parent searching for the child that they place for adoption, or if it's the child, you know, that was adopted, searching for a birth parent, 
Um, either way, just sitting down and talking with them and getting a better idea of um, kind of their history and what's motivating them to to do a search at this time in, in their life. Because um, a lot of times, you know, I have found so far um, that... It's, it seems to be either a, some kind of a life change or some, you know, a, a health issue, a health reason, you know, something that has kind of come up or mm-hmm. maybe just, you know, someone's getting older in age and they're thinking, gosh, you know, I, I really want to find some answers about all of this before it's too late, you know. Um, and so a lot of times it's just sitting down with them in the beginning and talking about, you know, why they're doing this and um, just kind of getting getting them to adopt some realistic expectations if their expectations are not realistic. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people, unless you do this kind of work, you don't really know what all it takes to complete an adoption search. And, you know, the time and the energy and all of the, the resources out there um, and the different avenues that you can take And so, you know, in the beginning, it's really just talking a lot about, okay, what are your expectations? And then let me tell you kind of how I do this and give you, you know, some of my expectations if, you know, you're going to hire me to do this. Um, And just to kind of talk through how it's going to work, talk through a timeline, um, talk through, you know, how much this might cost and just things like that. Um, And and also... And Rochelle, what kind of expectations... Have you run across that are unrealistic? Um, I think for the most part, what I've run into is just not having a realistic grasp as to, um, one, how long the search could take, Uh and two, the fact that, you know, just because you're calling a private investigator, it does not guarantee that we're going to find your birth mom or your birth dad, you know? Uh Um, Uh I think sometimes people have done um, their own searching and they feel like, okay, well, I can't find them, so a professional will find them, you know? Um, Well, you just push a couple of buttons, don't you, and find somebody? Is that what you do? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I think that's 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 what people think, though. We yes, just yes. Push I, a couple of I think so. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times people think, "Hey, you're a private investigator. You can you can do whatever it takes for you know to to find this information for me. So you should be able to find it." And um, and that's not always the case. Um, mm-hmm. One of the very very first cases I had, um, it was an adoption case, and you know it was a, a man who really wanted to find his birth father. And, um, you know, so we kind of started talking and, you know, come to find out he pretty much wanted to, you know, hand me 50 bucks and say, hey, you know, go find him, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and so it's, it was hard, you know, because this was one of my, my first cases and, you know, of course you, you want to be able to help every person that, that comes across your desk, um, but, you know, in that case, I had to, to talk, you know, and, and some reality, <laughs> you know, into him and say, well, you know, this, this is something that you can definitely pursue, but, you know, it's going to cost 
a bit more than than what you're you're hoping, you know, and uh, and so we we talked about it more, and and he just really wasn't in a position to spend a whole lot of money on a search. Um, and anytime I run into that, I, I just give them as many resources as I can and say, hey, you know, if this is something that you want to revisit in the future when you, you know, can save up some money for it, then, you know, give me a call back. Um, but in the meantime, if you, you know, want to try to continue searching on your own, here are some resources for you that you can use that might, you know, better help you rather than you just sort of randomly, you know, using Google to, to search or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that's always a little bit hard and, and disheartening, you know, disheartening for him and, and disheartening for me too, feeling like, you know, I've, I've failed him. I, I can't help you, but, um, but, you know, I also have to make a living too. I, I quit my job to, to pursue this, and um, so it's something that um, I would love to be able to offer for free, <laughs> and right. maybe one day, you know, things will change, um, but uh, but I would say that probably the most unrealistic expectation just has to do with, you know, a timeline and and just the effort and the cost, cost and, and the yeah. energy that, that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. I can I can definitely see that. Uh, okay, so then where do you go from there? You've you've met with them. You've decided. You've you've covered all that uh, cost and expectations, and and uh, where do you yeah. go from that point? Well, at that point, if you know we both decide to to move forward, then you know I, we get a lot of the um, just little things out of the way. I have them, you know, sign a contract and get a, a retainer from them, and those types of things. And then beyond that. Um, you know, if it's something where they're close by where we can meet face to face, you know, I, I always like to do that because these kind of searches really are very, very personal, you know, to mm-hmm. the person who's hiring me to do them. And so when I can, you know, meet them face to face, I do. And, um, but that's not always possible. You know, I could have somebody call me from, you know, seven states away and, you know, it's not possible for us to meet face-to-face, but we can at least, you know, talk on the phone or do some kind of a, a FaceTime or a Skype call or something like that. But um, but I like to try to make it as, as personal as possible. Um, and a lot of times they're very nervous um, to give all of, yeah. you know, their, their well, information it, you to know, a stranger. <laughs> I think there's also a lot of anxiety involved. I mean, this yes. is like... You know, plowing unknown ground. This is something you've heard about your whole life, and now you want, you're trying to do something about it. Yeah. And it feels very risky. Very much. I think it's um, that they always start out so excited to finally be, you know, doing this and taking the steps. And hey, I could actually find, you know, my birth family. Um, mm-hmm. But then once they take that step. I think a lot of times they get very, very nervous, you know, Mm because they're like, oh, wow, wait a minute. I need to take a step back here for a second. This is, this is going to change my life. You know, I mean, this, this is Mm -hmm. a big decision, you know, for me to make. So, um, so it's always in the beginning, there's, there's just, there's a lot more um, just kind of discussion than with some of my, you know, non-adoption related cases that I've handled so far. 
Um, uh-huh. It's just, it's a lot more personal for them, you know, and I, I try to be really respectful of that and, and understand that and, you know, listen to them and talk with them for longer than I normally would and, you know, with, with other clients and just let them, let them kind of go at their own pace in the beginning. And um, one of the things I really like to do is to really reassure them that the ball is totally in their court, you know, that uh-huh. I'm not going to take any steps or move forward without their absolute approval. And, you know, we've talked about it. They're ready. Okay, this is what I'm going to do, you know, Um, and just kind of walk them through it step by step, kind of in in chunks, you know. Um, That's that's sort of how I handle that to to let them, you know, continue to feel like, okay, I, I, and the one that has the power, she's not just going to go off mm-hmm. on some tangent and do something or contact someone when, I, when I'm not ready for it or I don't want her to or, you know, okay, I've changed my mind. You know, I, mm-hmm. I always let my clients know if you change your mind, if you want to just, you know, put the brakes on this and revisit it later or, or not, you know, you mm-hmm. just, anytime, you, you let me know and, and I'll stop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal it for them. A- yeah, it is a really big deal. And you're right. Their life is going to change dramatically if they actually make a connection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I do in the beginning. And then I, uh, I sit down with them and I ask them a ton of questions. Um, just anything at all that they know about their adoption, you know, um, any information they might have, even if it's, you know, family rumors or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It's just me asking question after question, just eliciting information and, you know, writing all of that down. Um, because you never know in, a, in an adoption case, especially, um, really in any case, but um, you never know what bit of information is going to help. You know, right. it, it might be something you think is a very, very small detail, and it ends up being the thing that helps you find the birth parent, you know. Uh-huh. Um, you just never know. And so I make that real clear in the beginning. Even if you think it's small or even if you're not sure about the, the truthfulness of the information you have or the accuracy of it, go ahead and give it to me and, you know, let me know, you know, how did you get this information or, you know, who maybe, you know, told you this and, and stuff like that. But I just ask them a, a lot of questions um, and just get them to thinking about, uh, you know, everything. And um, and we talk to just depending on their situation. Um, I, you know, sometimes get permission from them to speak to other members of their family who might, uh-huh. you know, have some information that they uh-huh. were not aware of. Um, you know, a lot of times the uh, adoptive parents, if they're still in the picture, um, you know, I like to talk to them because they a lot of times are, are able to provide some of those smaller details that end up mattering, um, you know, in the end. And so, um, and that's, that's not always possible, you know. I'm, I'm working on a, a case right now where the, um, the adoptee, my client, is 53 years old and, you know, both of her adoptive parents have passed away. Mm-hmm. And I think for her that was kind of a a thing that she finally decided, you know, I've always been curious. I've always wanted to search, you know, I I haven't been able to find anything on my own. And now that my adoptive parents are gone, um, I think I'd like to go ahead and pursue this. Um, Because that's, that's a big concern. It seems Mm -hmm. with a lot 
of adopted children is that they don't want to um, hurt feelings right. with their adoptive family. And right. they think, you know, gosh, if I go and try to pursue my birth family, I don't want my adoptive family to think that I don't mm-hmm. love them and I don't care about them or appreciate mm-hmm. them or, you know. Um, and, it's, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard and for everybody. And do you everybody. share, Ray, Rochelle, that you have, an, you have an adopted child? Is that part yeah, of your yeah. process? I do. Yeah. I do share. I, I share that. Yeah, with with every um, client that I approaches would think that me. That would be important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's something that I'm able to use to to kind of gain rapport with them and to show them, yeah. like, hey, I, I'm an adoptive parent, and and I do understand part of this. You know, I I'm not an adoptee myself, but I am an adoptive parent, and um, so you know, I can, I can empathize with, with Relate, what you're going sure. through and with what yeah. you're facing. And, um, and yeah, I think, um, a lot of times, uh, I think that really helps, helps my client out and, and they like knowing that, you know. Right. We have about 15 minutes left. I want to make sure we get through your steps. So once, uh, once you have a lead, then, uh, tell me where that goes. Yeah, um, it's gosh, it can it can go in a million different directions. Um, but I I have myself a lot of uh, I use checklists for things, and you know, just kind of keeping all my ducks in a row. And uh, you know, so for adoptions, I have adoption checklists for everything you can imagine, and um, I I also have on my computer I've got bookmarks of just different um, resources, adoption-related resources and things that I use. Um, but really the first steps are determining where the adoption took place, you know, where where was this person born and um, kind of just the circumstances of the adoption, you know, was this handled by an agency or was this a private adoption or was this an international adoption? You know, there are, there are many uh-huh. different ways you can go about adopting. So it's just kind of narrowing down those details to begin with. Um, because it, it depends on how the adoption was handled as to where I'm going to go look for records. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it was handled through an agency many years ago, then the first thing I'm going to, you know, try to do is contact that agency. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll run into it where, okay, this, this is the agency that handled this adoption and they're no longer, you know, an agency. They, they're out of right. business. They don't exist anymore. And uh-huh. so then, you know, at that point, you have to track down, okay, well, then where are the records from that agency? Did they go to the state? Um, are they, you know, housed somewhere else? You know, does this agency still have, have these records somewhere? You know, so it's, it's can turn into a lot of, um, you know, internet searching, phone calls, tracking down records and, and where they're housed. That's kind of the first step. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next step beyond that, you know, I, I always just start with what, what information the, um, the client has, you know, to, as a starting off point. Sometimes they don't have very much information at all. Um, other times they have a gold mine of information and, you know, it, it just depends. Um, the case, you know, that I referenced earlier that I'm working on now uh, is kind of a, a different situation. She, um, she has her original birth certificate with both of her birth parents' names. 
um, and a little bit of information on there. Uh, and she actually was never legally adopted. Um, it was more really? a matter of, yeah, it was, uh, it was a matter of her, her birth parents, you know, decided we're too young, we, we can't have a child. And so they talked to friends of friends and the adoptive parents, I say adoptive parents, but they aren't really legally uh-huh. the adoptive parents, but uh-huh. they just, you know, showed up at the hospital and they were handed the baby and, and they walked out of the hospital and that was it. Um, uh-huh. And so, you know, my client was never legally adopted. And so this case that I'm working on is almost less of a, an adoption case because I can skip over, you know, trying to find all of the adoption records and things like that because they don't exist. They're, you uh-huh. know, they're not there. Uh-huh. Um, and so in this case, all I have is the birth certificate with, um, you know, the name of the birth dad, the name of the birth mom, and their supposed ages and the state that they're from. And, uh, you know, so that's more just, trying, you know, missing person kind of like that type of a case. Uh Um, So you kind of get to skip through all of the regular adoption stuff that you would normally have to, you know, jumping through hoops and trying to figure out, you know, every state is different. um, And, you know, their laws are different as they pertain to adoption. And so just depending on, on where the birth and the adoption took place, you know, you have to kind of look in that state and figure out, okay, what is, what is this state? What are their requirements? Who do I need to talk to? You know, what are the proper channels I need to go through to get this information? Um, and some states, you know, they release a lot more information than others, and other states are very, very tight-lipped and really don't don't share much at all. What do you do when you so, run into privacy issues? When, when they're tight-lipped? <laughs> yep, yep. What happens yeah, then? You sometimes have to be a little bit more creative. Um, a lot of times, you know, in the beginning, I do look at what state I'm going to be dealing with, and I look into, you know, what are their laws and kind of their common practices, and that gives me a better idea of how to treat this case. Um, sometimes I don't even mention the word adoption when I'm talking to different, you know, records clerks or whomever. Um, I will state genealogy purposes or inheritance purposes. You know, I, I, I word it in a different way rather than saying the word adoption because, you know, unfortunately, adoption sometimes still with people, as soon as they hear that word, it causes them to kind of to close up yeah. and, and they're afraid flag. to touch it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So, um, so sometimes you have to just be a little bit more creative in it. Um, and I, I found that in people that I talk to, I am just as nice as I can be and as agreeable as I can be and just do whatever I feel like that person on the other end of the phone, you know, whatever, whatever it is they need me to be, that's what I try to be to get the information that I need to get. Um, because even if I'm, you know, going through all of the proper channels and, and I'm not doing anything illegal, there might be a state that says, okay, well, we'll, we'll release non-identifying information to you. 
Um, and non-identifying information is just some generic information, you know, maybe about the birth parents. Um, but, you know, you're, they're not going to give you um, a name or anything like that that identifies them outright. Right. Um, and so, you know, sometimes a state might have, okay, we'll, we'll release non-identifying information to you, but depending on what person I talk to, they could interpret non-identifying information one way while their neighbor, you know, interprets it a different way. way. And so, so sometimes, you know, you have to hang up the phone and you really don't get anywhere and you, you try to um, figure out a way to get that same information in talking to a different person. Uh Um, Uh You know, you just kind of try to do what you can do to, to get the information you need. Um, And, so we only know, we only have Michelle. We only have about four minutes. So I just want to say, um, when you find the person, one of the things mm-hmm. I noticed in in what you wrote is that uh, you you never give out uh, the information to your client unless the other person agrees. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. I think yeah. that's really um, important. Um, I, yeah, I, I do think that's very important um, because you also have to think about the person who you are looking for and they, they don't know that you're looking for them. You know, they don't know right. that, that your client is looking for them and to just call them up one day with this shocking bit of information is a lot to absorb. Um, you know, they, they haven't been planning for it mentally and so a lot of times you, you just have to be very sensitive in how you handle that. And so, you know, for me and just how I feel about adoption and I feel about searching, um, I think it's only fair to, to that receiving person to be able to have a little bit of control over the situation and to use their timetable and, you know, maybe their... Um, their preferences if they do want to maybe make contact or whatever the case may be, I just sort of act they, as that yeah. intermediary. And they, and they have to absorb the information. The other thing that I that um, you have said that I think is important is that it's always beneficial to have a neutral third person make the contact. Yeah. Because the reaction could be dramatic and it could be very hurtful, even though it wasn't yes. meant to be that way. Yes, yeah, it, it could be devastating to the person who has just spent all this time and, and money and effort, you know, they put into this search and they're like, oh, great, you know, I, I found my birth mom, I'm calling her. And, uh-huh. you know, that reaction on the other end of the line might not be what they've imagined it to be. And exactly. a lot of it might just be because it, it's, it's shocking. You know, they, they need yeah. some time to think about it and, yeah. and process it. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I I always recommend that people do not call themselves because it you just never know what's going to be said at the other end, and and it may not have mean anything about how they feel about it. It's just shock. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really what you have to take into account because that is you know a a lot of of information to absorb when you're not expecting it. Yeah. Um, so, Rochelle, give your. Uh, do you have a website? I do. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Why don't you give your website? Yeah, oh, it's, it's just it's newhopeinvestigations.com. Okay, 
So if somebody wanted to contact you about questions about adoption, they could do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I think that would be valuable. And um, I know there's a, there's a few um, adoption investigation investigators across the, the country, but I don't think there's very many of you. Are, is there an association of adoption searchers? You know, not to my knowledge um, in what I've found. I mean, I've only been doing this for about a year and a half, um, but I, I haven't found one that is specific just to adoption searchers. Okay. Well, we have to close. Um, thank you very much, Rochelle, Rochelle Davis, owner of New Hope Investigations, Joplin, Missouri. Thanks so much. I uh, really appreciate you being on the show today, Rochelle. And for the rest of you, tune in again next week as we declassify topics of interest for private investigators. It's PIs Declassified and Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Rochelle. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.